Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Savit Khan, and I'll talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Not In-House on Reinventing the Wheel. Let's get started. As a bootstrap founder, you'll have to be pretty scrappy. You want to spend as little as you can on expenses, particularly when you're just starting. So anything you need to do, you want to do by yourself. Anything you need to use, you want to build yourself. But in my experience, a few things should be excluded from that. If you're not careful, they will blow up in the future big time, putting the whole business at risk. So don't build an authentication system yourself. I remember building my first authentication system many years ago while building the MVP for a prior startup I was involved in. At that point, I was building a lot of software using Node.js, and I was aware of several libraries that would allow me to create this myself. There weren't too many requirements initially. Customers should be able to sign up and log in using their email and the password, and that was it. My first mistake was to not spend enough time looking into what authentication really encompasses. Because it's not just an email and the password, it's a whole web of interconnected processes and assumptions. First, I noticed that I needed to save my users' passwords. Having been working in software engineering for a while, I knew I couldn't just keep them as plain text. So I looked into best practices and found that I needed to implement password hashing and salting using the bcrypt library. I understood that I needed to do this, but I didn't understand why. In the end, I just followed best practices. This is not the level of security your customers will or should ever be happy with. You're dealing with their secret information. You should know that you're doing everything to keep it safe. And by just implementing something that you've seen somewhere, you're not doing that. Keeping the personally identifiable information of your customers in your database is a giant risk and it will make your system a target. There are whole companies out there that take care of the security and privacy requirements of authentication, with teams of security experts making sure that the data is inaccessible to those who shouldn't see it. Other things pointed at the fact that I had bitten off more than I could chew. After a few days of development, I realized that I would need to build a password reset process for users to recover their passwords. And all of a sudden, I needed to integrate transactional emails into what was supposed to be an isolated system. Then I figured out that we were building a B2C product, which might mean that customers would want to log in using their existing social providers like Facebook or Google or Twitter and others. It took me almost a week just to understand and adequately implement a few popular auth two providers as a source of authentication. Building our authentication system made sense at first, before I'd realized the complexity I was facing. Even if I were to build it myself, it would not be simple and definitely not easily maintainable. There were libraries and plugins to make it all easier, but it still meant a lot of work that could have gone into building the unique core features of a product, which I didn't have time for because I needed to build the authentication system. Ever since that experience, I recommend using Auth0 and their identity as a service offering from the beginning in a startup. They have a free plan that will last you a long time without needing to pay. And even with thousands of customers, it'll still be less than hundred bucks. You will save weeks of development time and it is a double save. You get to work on your core product and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And your customer's data is in good hands. 
So let's talk about another system. Don't build a payment system yourself. And it's pretty straightforward. It's bad enough to have personal information in your database, but having credit card information touch your system gives bad actors a strong incentive to steal that precious information. Use a PCI-compliant processor where the card information never even gets transmitted to your servers like Stripe. The great benefit of this is that the payment processors have built-in fraud protection and other systems that make it much easier for you to avoid troublesome customers. Um, as a technical detail, right? you implement either like a pop-up or an integration or something, and people enter their credit card information, but it really gets sent to Stripe. And they sent you a token, and that's the thing you see on your backend. So your backend never, ever sees a CVC or a credit card number. They really only see a cryptographic token, which you can then use to actually subscribe a customer to a plan or cancel a plan or charge them. So that's the PCI compliant part, and that makes you so much less of a target. Um, at this point in time, most founders are already aware that they need to find a suitable solution for payments, and they rarely roll out their own. I have a story about this, uh, how I did that in an earlier startup, and I'll talk about that later, I guess. I still hear some first-time entrepreneurs complaining about the fees involved with this, which can often reach like 3 to 5% of the transacted payments. And while this is a lot, it helps to think that this is like an infrastructure tax for doing business on the internet. A way to make sure that your recurring revenue will be reliably captured month after month and you don't have to take care of all the intricacies of these kind of systems that are involved in this. So yeah, don't build a payment system yourself. And the third thing I recommend never building yourself is building an invoicing system yourself. Don't do that either. Because in the beginning, it might be really easy just to generate your own invoices as you've just a few customers and likely only a few plans or prices in your system. But come tax season, you will find out that you should have added a particular field in there for certain kinds of customers from a specific country, like capturing the VAT IDs from European customers for the European VAT system that is highly complicated. Invoicing in itself is complicated. And there are dozens of companies that focus on offering a globally usable invoicing integration into Stripe alone. So there's already like five or six companies that have a really, really strong Stripe integration and lots more that have multiple integrations into other kinds of payment systems as well. Leave financial things to the experts and people who deal with this every single day and focus on your own strength by providing a great product to your niche audience. Don't build another invoicing system. I made this mistake with Feedback Panda and I never rectified it. It worked well enough, our invoicing system, but any change to the system was a pain. Like with the authentication systems I had built before, I was not aware of the complexities that awaited our business. Most of them were not our own requirements even, but just regulatory nature. The we had registered a company in a country where invoices needed to be in numerical order with no gaps between the numbers and they needed to clearly state postal addresses of people and have a valid and appropriate date as well as specific legal terms on the invoice and then there were taxes as a german business selling to customers all over the world we needed to calculate different taxes uh, in a different way depending on the location of the customer and some had to pay value-added tax, but only if they didn't have a European non-German VAT ID. And the complexity of all this resulted in me building a tax calculation system. That was very brittle. 
with tax rates changing every now and then as well, it also needed to fetch the most recent tax rates every day from a European VAT rate API. It was really crazy. And none of this was relevant to the core audience of Feedback Panda, who were online teachers. They needed help with their daily operations. The time I invested in building the start of year invoice number overflow logic, where invoice 2018-4459 would be followed by 2019-0001 on the first invoice of January 1st, that kind of overflow. That alone could have meant a few bug fixes or working on teaching relevant feature um, sets or features. So it was such a waste of time to build these kind of systems. And they've been built before thousands of times. So why? Why did I do this? I still don't really know. But it's a big learning to never do this again. So let's talk about the mental trap of building things yourself. As developers, we are very likely to think that if I build it myself, I'll understand it better. And that's true. We do benefit from learning how to solve these kind of problems to a degree. The problem is that in bootstrap businesses, learning on the job should always result in something highly beneficial. Learning how to build an authentication system like tens of thousands of other developers have learned before won't make your business any better. Wasting time on building something that others know the complexity of while you're entirely unaware is a foolish thing to do. Your core product is where your expertise lies. It's where you know how much is enough and which steps are required to reach that state. You won't have that level of insight into non-core parts of your service. So use the services of experts in those fields. Wasting time on building something that won't improve your industry expertise will hurt your business. You're collecting unfair advantages along the way. At least that's the plan, right? So everything that makes you more of an expert among few others will set you apart from the competition. Building the world's 15,000s in invoicing module won't get you any closer to that goal. It's not going to help you to get there. So the worst part of building things that you don't need to build is then it's distracting you from the primary mission of your business. And that is creating a self-sustaining value engine that helps your customers solve the critical problems. If you're not focusing on making that a reality, you're straying from the path. And building things that you shouldn't build is often a result of grandiose underestimation of the time required to get it right enough. For everything that sounds simple enough to build, your, uh, to build yourself but has many SaaS solutions out there, ask yourself if maybe the people who pay for it know more about the complexity of a feature than you do at this point. Because... If they could have built it themselves, they would. So they pay for it for a reason to have the service done by somebody else. With that, I would like to suggest, uh, let's call it a mostly unbiased risk analysis framework. So let's look into how you can figure out if a feature that you need is a candidate for building it yourself or spending money on an existing SaaS solution. I'll try to give you the least wise perspective on the risks for either choice. They originate from my experiences, reflections, and conversations with other founders and the stories that I've read up on this topic. So for every point, make sure you find your own opinion and weigh it accordingly. If you want to make this a data-driven choice, just make a list of all the risks of building um, and all the risks of buying, and then see which list is longer and take the other option, the one with fewer risks. So we talk, we're going to talk about the risks of building things yourself and the risks of not building things yourself. So let's start 
with the building. Building things yourself opens up the possibility of waste and distraction. Note down all the risks that can negatively impact your focus on the core of your business. And there's four of them. The first one is unexpected complexity. Will building this feature uncover a different order of magnitude of development costs? Right? Are there hidden costs in the amount of time you'll have to spend on this? Can you be sure that there's a ceiling even, or is it going to go on forever? What parts of the feature do you think could be or could turn out to be unusually complex? Have you checked for reports of edge cases, which is always a good idea. Just look into other people explaining building this themselves. If you can find tutorials or walkthroughs, it's always good to see where people have found complexity. So try to really understand the maximum complexity that this could have for you. The second point is unexpected compliance. Ask yourself, are there regulatory requirements for this feature that you might not yet be aware of? Are there hidden costs in terms of money and effort to be able to comply with them? Like, Do you have to pay fees or license fees or any kind of um, yeah, compliance uh, requirement there? Have you checked the kinds of compliance that solutions in this space openly advertise? Do they apply to your solution too? It's always kind of nice to see, particularly with the example of the payment providers, right? You go to the website like um, Stripe and you go into their security and compliance section and you see what levels of compliance they have to fulfill, like what governmental and legal kinds of compliance they have to be providing to even be able to operate the business. And PCI is one of the bigger ones in, in payments. It's like the, the credit card industry's compliance level that makes Stripe such a good choice as a payment provider because they comply with this. And with this compliance comes all this safety and all this uh, privacy and per the protection of the personally identifiable information of your customers. So you can expect this to be a part of almost every kind of building block of your business in some way, right? There's a lot of compliance to privacy um, for the PII, for this kind of information, for payment information, and everything that we've been talking about, authentication, payment, and invoicing kind of touches on, on this kind of data at some point. So there will be compliance and you will need to find it. And that extends into other fields as well. So really make sure you look into the kinds of compliance that solutions in this space advertise for, because that's what you will need to implement as well. The third point, the third risk of building things yourself is just distraction. Will building this feature distract you from your mission or will it lead you to it, right? Will it give you traction on your path or will it distract you from it? Is your focus going to be in the core value generation while you build this or is it somewhere else? And if it's somewhere else, you probably shouldn't build it yourself. The fourth point is roadmap littering. Will this feature add more things to your own roadmap that pushes the important stuff further out? the actual core value of your business. Is it worth delivering other features later than anticipated? And are your customers okay with that? And finally, are you okay with that? But your roadmap is gonna fill up if you have other things to do. So don't litter it. So those would be the risks of building a thing yourself. Let's talk about the risks of not building this yourself. Because buying things makes your system more fragile as well. And you, it can result in a lack of control. Note down all the things that might be a risk to the operation of your business at this point. And I have three points here, three risks. The first one is unexpected downtime. How will you react to outages and service degradations? It's a very important question. Will your customers understand this? 
Will they be able to deal with this? Do you have a way to reach a customer um, support for the services that you're buying? Will this cost you extra? Is trusting that things will continue um, the only way you could deal with this? I had a number of services that I've been using in different startups over the years that had very bad customer support. And when there was an outage, it sometimes took hours, if not even days, to reach them, which is frankly a huge problem if you have thousands of customers asking you when the service will be back, right? So you need to be prepared for this. You need to know your kind of path into the customer service and if you're even eligible to talk to somebody there without paying extra money. So you really, really need to make sure that if downtime happens, you have a way of communicating with the service and get this information back to your own customers. There's another risk here, and that's the second one I want to talk about, a much graver risk even. It's what I would call an unexpected implosion. What will you do if the service is closing or sold or pivoting to a different product? Do you have a reliable way of continuing to use it then? Or will there be alternatives? Do you have migration paths? Can you build abstractions that are good enough to change the underlying service in a hurry and likely in an emergency situation? Very important. Every service that you pay for, that you integrate into your product, is a potential breaking point if the service should go away. Particularly, and you need to pay a lot of attention if you buy from other founders that are not yet clearly established in their niche. We did this. Um, I guess it was a goodwill purchase for Feedback Panda in the beginning. Our infrastructure was hosted with a small German hosting provider that had a good Docker integration. It was wonderful while it worked, but when it didn't and it broke down and their service had gigantic degradation, it was more a downtime problem, but we, we had to migrate away because it just didn't work out anymore. And a couple of weeks after this happened, maybe a month or two, they actually shut down the company. So had we tried to stick it out with them, our system would have been gone from one day to the other because this, they just closed down their service. They just closed down their business. So this kind of stuff can be really, really problematic if you're not prepared for it. So having migration paths set out the moment you integrate something, you should also think about how to migrate away from it to a different alternative service uh, service, and find the alternative already before you need to at a later point. Always keep alternatives up. I think that's important too if you buy something. The third point, um, third risk of not building something yourself is roadmap misalignment because the service also has a roadmap. And your question that you should be asking yourself is, does the service have all the features you need now? And does it have all the features you will need once you scale? And if they don't have it now, can you be sure they will have those features at that point? Is there a chance that their roadmap will undergo significant changes in the future and it will be misaligned from your own needs and your own roadmap? So that is the third risk in not building something. By buying something, you're kind of trusting that the business that you buy it from is going into the same direction or at least into the direction you need them to go in the future. And you have very little control over that. So that's one of the control and fragility risks of building, of not building something yourself. So how do you find the balance? With, the, with risks on both sides, how can you make a good decision here? I recommend erring on the side of caution. In many cases, I found that to involve um, buying a solution rather than building it. Because 
established SaaS businesses had run into a lot of the problems that you might encounter long before you even thought about adding this kind of feature, right? They already have dealt with all the edge cases and the, the problems and the bugs that you might run into. So you buying it from somebody will save you all this time. And honestly, know what you're worth. Do the math and weigh the risks carefully. Find the big players in the field that you consider building a solution for and look at their feature set and see what you think might come back to bite you if you were to build it yourself. Then plan how long it would take you to engineer this whole thing and think of where you'll be in five years' time. Will the solution still suffice? Will it be enough? Or would you rather have the people iron out the kinks and bugs of that part of your solution for you and you just pay them? Buying SaaS solutions won't make your business any less sellable, right? Because acquirers have come to understand that the value of a company is in their core offering. Any non-core software that they would need to maintain is actually a liability. So your business will be better off without hard-to-maintain components that other people have solved much better and cheaper somewhere else. In general, if it's not a part of your core business, consider buying a solution. This means that you will have a large number of small services you'll be paying for over the years, and that's fine. Every service you pay for is an overall reduction of the complexity of your solution. Your product should consist of the minimum logic to maximally solve your niche audience's most critical problem, leave everything else to those who care more about addressing issues like authentication, payment, and invoicing. Concentrate on the things that make your business unique. In my entrepreneurial past, I've made this mistake many times. The worst example that I can remember, because I haven't suppressed it yet, is from a startup that I founded with friends here in Berlin. We wanted to bring local food producers from the countryside into the city and allow them to sell to the foodies and hipsters who develop a taste for high-quality local food. So we built a marketplace. We didn't know back then how hard it would be to get a two-sided marketplace set up, but that's a whole other problem. Even just the technical solution had its issues because I built all these three systems that I just mentioned myself, and it was horrible. I built the authentication system myself. I fiddled around with Bcrypt, like I said, password hashing, password salting, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just followed advice I found in GitHub and in blog posts. And and yeah, honestly, that was not a very secure system, or at least I couldn't have given any guarantees. I just hoped it would be safe and secure. And it was also not very flexible. It was an email, a password-only system, and for marketplace with B2C customers, not offering alternative login methods was just short-sighted. And it would have been super hard to extend the system that I had set up at any later point. I mentioned earlier that in a different startup, I integrated OAuth. That already was hard then, but in this system that I built before, it would have been almost impossible. I also built the payment system myself, and that was the biggest mistake we made. We didn't find any German payment vendors at the time that allowed for direct debit and credit cards and other methods that we needed. So we built our own system that would only allow people to pay by invoice. (laughs) That alienated everyone who just wanted a quick payment method online because it was a a SaaS product or in, in a way it was a marketplace. So people expected to be able to pay for it online and not just have an invoice and send money to people through their banks. And it made it significantly harder for our vendors too the farmers from around the city, as they now had to track all their payments themselves. So we, like, we kind of pushed that onto them and they really didn't like it. So yeah, that didn't work out too well. I also built the invoicing system myself, 
the resulting invoices were subpar, not even PDFs, like websites you had to print out, and likely incomplete, but we even didn't get this far. Nobody bought anything from our platform, or just a couple people did, but it's like, uh, yeah, really, really low numbers. We were not providing something people wanted. Some people said they would buy something through a marketplace, but then they didn't. So vendors wasted their time and our customers bounced from the portal without paying anything. And it was horrible. We pivoted or the business has since pivoted to a different model, no no more marketplace. But uh, yeah, we made every mistake we could have possibly made. And I just want to share this because you don't need to make this mistake yourself. I didn't make these mistakes with Feedback Panda and because from the beginning, authentication and payment at least would be externalized into Auth0 and Stripe. I did build an invoicing system and I already told you how much that sucked and it was flat out stupid. But you could scrap this right now completely and use Stripe's auto-generated invoice system and you'd probably be fine, particularly um, with most of the customer base located in the United States. Stripe is very compatible with that kind of stuff. But whatever my next project will be, it will have all these services externalized for sure. And I've had many ideas over the years that never once needed any special kind of authentication or payment system feature that was not provided by services like Auth0 or Stripe. So yeah, there's no reason not to use them. I would probably go even further next time and use something like a SaaS boilerplate. These are fully featured backends that have all these things pre-built like authentication, login stuff like password reset, sometimes even two-factor auth and billing and subscriptions through Stripe integrations and invoicing and short, all the things you don't need to build yourself because someone else has built them well enough before. For PHP, that is, I think, called the Laravel Spark project for Node.js and React. I think the project that exists is called Gravity. And for React, Python and React, it would be SASForge. So I wish there was one for Elixir Phoenix because that's what I uh, use for Feedback Panda, but it, it's only a matter of time before this system becomes popular enough to get a SAS boilerplate. And on, if I think about it with a pre-built backend for auth and billing, this would actually free me from having to have everything in one project with one kind of technology. I guess in a future project, I could just do the work that I need to do in my Elixir code and have the auth and user and billing backend do its own separate thing. Oh, that's actually nice. So in any case, using a boilerplate like that, or at least having authentication payment and invoicing done by the experts instead of doing it yourself, will save you a lot of time. That's time you can spend on increasing your unfair advantage and on delighting your customers. And since founder time is so precious, those are the things you should be working on. Not the world's 500,000th implementation of a password reset functionality. So thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you subscribe to this podcast, it'll help other founders, founders to be, to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.